So hello, here we are. Yeah. Hello, Tito. What's up, Anton? How you doing? I'm doing okay. So um, and we are Torstus and Lucian, and today we're going to going to discuss global politics, mainly on the or mainly covering the Ukraine crisis at the moment. Yeah, yeah. The yes. Ukraine crisis. Politics is uh, is fun, guys. Right? You like politics. We do big political analysis out there. I can I can tell all your living rooms are filled up with posters, little mm-hmm. badges from political movements you've been involved oh, yeah. in. Maybe po- some less savory ones, you know. <laughs> uh, and post notes on the walls. And big post notes on the walls, where you write global politics terms down so you can remember them. Oh yeah. Like defensive realism. Oh, or realism just in general. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe you have a big chart over dependency theory. Uh no, I I don't <laughs> I don't imagine that you you probably have that. Uh but you probably think that uh, politics is at least somewhat interesting. Yeah, since I, you pressed uh, on this podcast. Yeah, you're listening to this podcast. Uh but if you don't think politics is interesting in any kind of way then um we're sorry to inform you that this is going to be a politics podcast. If you clicked on it for Anton and Theodore, then I guess you can still keep listening because that's what's also going to be on this podcast. And we are also pretty amazing, I must say. Yeah, we're uh, very, very funny and interesting people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't say yeah, just like that. Ooh. All right. All right, all right, all right. We are... Um, we're very funny, and we're very good at political analysis, and um, now we're going to be talking about a serious conflict in the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Or the, I, I'm not going to say the Ukraine again. Uh, Ukraine, because they're angry when you say the Ukraine for some reason. Um, it's got something to do with, like, imperialism. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But, um... I think one of the major problems with the Ukraine crisis at the moment is definitely hitting us in Europe pretty hard. Not only us, but as a Danish citizen, I feel like the inflation on meat is mm. pretty insane. Yeah, um, Europe's been been going through it. Uh, it's been a little bit rough. Uh, getting the in, the inflation and all this going, uh, you know, prices rising, gas prices yeah, worsening, yeah. Uh, you know, normal people in Europe uh, not really able to afford rent and such, um, which of course has had a big influence on both how people view the Ukraine war now and, uh, you know, how they also view the system. Uh, recently, there's been... In, in, in great news, there's been a rise of right-wing movements uh, throughout Europe, alt-right movements. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been seeing uh, the recent Italian election with Georgia Maloney, who was, uh, you know, she didn't declare herself an absolute fascist. But I think that if uh, it talks like a fascist, it walks like a fascist, <laughs> and it's formerly been in a fascist well, I mean, this is basically also a fascist party. So what it you're might saying be is, a fascist. So what you're saying is, one time fascist, always fascist. Uh, I'm saying that she doesn't sound like she's really renounced many of her beliefs, uh, at least not to anybody else than uh, 
her Western uh, diplomatic <laughs> partners, whom she, of course, is. Uh, no, you could argue that. Yeah. Sweet talking. Yeah. I'm. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! You got a line? Yeah, this is hard, man. This is hard. It's hard recording a podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, this is our first time doing this, so you know, be aware that there may be random cuts uh, and places where there's just absolute silence for a little bit, and then we'll get back to it. It's a little bit difficult to just sit here and uh, do this first try. Mm-mm. But uh, honestly, let's just get into it uh, with, you know, the basic information on the Ukraine war. If you've been living under a literal rock, because you probably would have otherwise felt some kind of impact of it, or at least known about the causes of it, you know, especially if you're in Europe. So basically, it started with uh, Russian military exercises on the Ukrainian border. This is ha- this had happened before, so oh, yeah. a lot of people uh, online were were speculating, and and news agencies and such were speculating that uh, for a while, obviously, it looked like yeah, there was a troop ramp up at the border, but you know, Russia has done this before, and this is classic, you know, Russian foreign policy, kind of threatening neighbors uh, as much as possible that they step out of line. You know, Russia will will come after them. Uh, however, this time it was slightly different, and after what appeared to be a troop uh, withdrawal, which was actually somewhat of a ruse, uh, the Russians declared war on and entered uh, Ukrainian land. Yeah. Uh, Russian troops went into the Donbass region, into uh, the regions of Donetsk and Luhansk, Luhansk. And um, those areas were very quickly occupied uh, by Russian forces, and Belarusian forces uh, came from above. Of course, Belarus, being allied to Russia, uh, had been planning this war as well. Mm-mm. So after uh, quite a few months of continued warfare, there isn't really an end in sight, uh, at least not right now. Pretty sad, to be honest. But it's yeah. also pretty important also to note that before this, there were some domestic problems in Ukraine as well, since some separatist groups at the eastern border as well. Yeah, this was um, this was one of the main justifications uh, for war by the Russians was the bombing of individuals in the Donbass area uh, and those that were pro-Russian, supposedly, and. Uh, you know, you can doubt those claims as much as you want and, uh, you know, put question marks at whether that's a valid reason to declare war on a country, but nonetheless, that was one of the reasons um, that, that there was a significant Russian minority that wanted to be Russian in that part of Ukraine. The Ukrainian state, obviously... Um, and this goes even further back to 2014, did not recognize uh, Russia's annexation of Crimea, which um, is kind of also an interesting topic because that started the whole, most of the the Western sanctions against Russia and the the kind of 
yeah. a diplomatic yeah. isolation that um, they later faced for that reason, you know, because they were occupying another person's or another country's uh, territory uh, illegitimately in some sense. And this caused a big outrage in the uh, in the West, especially. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think it's also pretty funny, uh, the effects of this war has had so far. Uh, that we talked about how... Well, I mean, yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah, well, funny, interesting more yeah. is the word I wanted to yeah, use. Yeah, then. yeah. It's been interesting. It's been interesting, yeah. You cannot uh, you cannot deny that. No. Um, I, I feel like the massive led up to how gas and oil has been infected yeah. by this. That's That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I think um, most Europeans were blissfully unaware that we were actually this reliant on Russian gas imports. Um, and we quickly realized that when, you know, the war started and European sanctions uh, came in, <laughs> yeah, if, that it was going to affect us a lot heavier than we had initially thought. Uh, and in some ways this has been... A positive development, of course, uh, in in the sense that you know now there's more renewable energy being generated. Some people argue, or there's more of an idea that we should develop green energy. But at the same time, a lot of people's living standards have just been put down by this. Oh, you know, by a lot. By a lot. We're uh, generally talking about like both Poland. We are talking about. Germany and Paris. Germany, Germany, in, in France. Uh, I mean, even in the UK, which isn't a part of the EU anymore. You know, the the effects were massive. Uh, cost the cost of living crisis in the UK right now, and the whole situation there is yeah, almost yeah. too funny to to ignore. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's been going a little bit crazy. They've had um, you know three prime ministers within like the past year so that's that's also the, um, like it, tell, it talks about a little about how the country yeah how well political the, system is the, the, the moment, political right? system is, is functioning yeah pretty poorly uh, yeah. i think we can or safely just in total right safely say yeah um this has caused huge instability in so many countries and <laughs> the the main proposals to combat this stability or instability in the in the uk was I guess, like, revive Thatcherite, like, neoliberal economics to fix a cost-of-living crisis. I don't (laughs) think that's going to help, but, you know, that's kind of why Liz Truss was ousted so quickly, is because she proposed that, which was a suicide mission uh, for both her and her government. Yeah. I, I, uh... I sincerely hope that the conservatives are not re-elected, but, you know, this is, um... This is personal uh, opinion i suppose either way situation is pretty dire uh, and it's uh, it's been it's been dire so but, but but when we go back to the country how do you think they're holding up at this moment how do you th- think they've been fighting this fight so far you mean ukraine yeah or, ukraine yeah well Obviously, they surprised a lot of people in that they weren't immediately, like, curb-stomped, destroyed, like, absolutely, uh, completely disintegrated by Russia. Yeah, of You know, it wasn't Happy like... Credits. It wasn't like a huge, like, Russian tanks just flying in Blitzkrieg, you know, Ukraine or some shit like that. No, um, the war's been going on for for quite a while, and the longer it goes on, of course, uh, the more, you know 
considerations for for peace will arise uh, probably however you know it's quite difficult to really arrange a peace in this case because it would have to be a peace arranged where both parties to the peace agreements would have nuclear weapons uh-huh. uh russia has nuclear weapons and ukraine although it isn't militarily directly supported by um by the us or the west uh, for that matter or or the west in theory the equipment has been sent there threats have been made that uh nuclear oh, yeah. and, arms and, will be deployed and arm i mean like money packages as well yeah 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 uh funding in general has been sent to to ukraine as well um by western countries so it's clear to see that there are definitely those that sympathize with ukraine and then there's there's you know russia and both parties have nuclear arms and a peace deal would probably involve um at least some western countries uh, so, apart from ukraine itself so we were talking about this conflict what type of conflict would you like characterize it as then well i mean there there's a very obvious fact that it's an interwar uh or oh, yeah. inter in like it's an inter um interstate conflict because it is between two uh two states yeah, the like war, that's the pretty war, basic the war is only between Ukraine and Russia not the west or anyone else at the moment no well technically Belarus is involved on russian side but you know you you could characterize them as uh as somewhat of a, a satellite state I I don't know that I'd call them necessarily a satellite state but they've aligned themselves quite heavily with Russia yeah um and whether they really have that much of an independent foreign policy at this point well I I I don't really think they do so of course they're very involved on Russia's side their own interests aren't like super well kept or anything like that it's mostly Russian interests that have dictated uh, this war and um Well, it's it's quite clear that yeah we haven't seen a war like this happen in a while at least not one that broke out between two states that were already like sufficiently established uh and you know in some ways quite militarily modernized uh post soviet era uh such as ukraine and russia in 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 you uh, in europe you know we've never seen we have seen of course we have seen in time uh wars like this fought in Europe but it was quite a while ago uh the last war that you could bring up as any kind of example of a, of a war like this fought in Europe would be Yugoslavia and even in that case that was um somewhat of a civil war meaning that it was it was belligerent parties that were at times uh, state entities and sometimes not um state yeah, entities yeah. So it was a slightly more complex war in that sense but here we have a very binary So we're talking about this situation. Yeah yeah the war interstate here so it's very interesting yeah very clearly interstate conflict yeah What was when if we look back history um not regarding Yugoslavia but what type of war do you then feel like that would come close to something like this because what goes in my mind is definitely um uh, World War World War 2 Yeah, I think a lot of comparisons have been made with World War II, and I think they are somewhat founded in that for at least a significant period of time in Europe there was uh, some kind of peace, yes, a peace kept by nuclear uh, weapons, but 
there was an armed conflict across the borders of Europe, uh, really. You would have the, you know, the Warsaw Pact and NATO uh, each on their own side, and they didn't really engage in direct military action against one another uh, at any major points. No, no. So it is quite, quite new, um, and I think that large part of the reason for it is is definitely left over tensions um you know after uh, after the Soviet Union fell apart uh, between the different newly established countries that would come to exist after that yeah yeah uh, but looking Ukraine at, being but looking at Europe how do you feel like how do, would you view the the effect that it has on uh, the rest of the Europe how do you think like they are holding up Well, because if I look at Germany, I feel like they're they're hit hard, like really hard. Yeah, Same Germany, Paris, hit but I still hard. feel like they're holding up. Yeah, you keep mentioning uh, Paris. It's not a. Uh... Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. But France in the in Fra- total. France has been. Well, it's mostly like uh, the big cities in Fra- in, in metropolitan France. areas. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like urban areas have been affected heavily, uh, and obviously this has also caused kind of a an introspective kind of situation where Europeans are now looking at, you know, how much am I actually consuming in my everyday on oh, a normal, yeah, on a normal, funny, to be honest, like day, you know, how much fuel am I consuming? You know, how much, how much food am I, am I eating? Do I need to eat all of this? Do I need all of this stuff that I have? Um, It's just kind of funny. because when we talk about it, like does, do you really have to have a war to quite a cut to, Ask yourself, what kind of climate impact do I have? I mean, yeah, of course, it one part have to of it for the climate, but yeah, exactly. Economy, one one part economy, of it's but, the climate, yeah. another part is looking at you know overconsumption uh, in the West in general. I think that's been a big issue and something that's been pointed out yeah. a lot by um, by people who've you know criticized this uh, in the in the third world, especially, Mm-mm. which I will call you know, the the third world uh, or, you know, global south or whatever. You can use whatever definition you want. The main point is that they are the countries that are generally considered in the West to be poor or underdeveloped in some sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not at the same, you know, uh, consumption level uh, as the West, which is kind of a reductive measure, but, you know, peace be with it. Um, that's true, that's true. I I think one of the major things I'm looking at definitely was, uh, which also surprised me was Germany's um, bulking bulking up their army or their military expenses. Yes. So now they're like on the third the third country spending the much much money. Yeah. Their- yeah. No, I remember a lot of people making uh, jokes about that. You know, rearming the Germans <laughs> uh, to electric boogaloo. Course, you know, this is. Um, Yeah, it's joked about a lot, and uh, you know you can kind of tell why with the whole, you know, rearming of 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 Nazi uh, Germany being uh, such a big thing that led to you know the murder of millions of people throughout Europe. Uh, you know, that's an absolute simplification. This is not about World War Two exactly, but no, no. but yeah, the main point is Germany's rearming. 
a lot of other countries in Europe have considered their position in military alliances. We've got Finland and Sweden joining NATO, which they had not done previously. No, they've been staying neutral. They were uh, staying for neutral time, yeah. for a very long period of time. And that was especially because they um, they got some benefits from kind of staying in that neutral foreign uh, policy position during the Cold War. Um, especially, you know, Finland was, you know, right on the border of the Soviet Union and had just went through a war with them um, when, oh, uh, yeah. when, they, when they finished World War II. That's something a lot of people uh, forget or don't know. Excuse me that Finland actually did fight in, in World War II against the Soviets. Well, uh, they won, so they well, must have the done Soviets, a pretty good job. The Soviets uh, won the, the war, but but the Finnish, the Finnish held the Soviets for quite a while. The Soviets ended up taking territory, though, and um, kind of leaving Finland in a position where eventually they uh, they kind of got like a somewhat like fascist-ish state that allied with Germany. And then they went for a second winter oh, yeah. war against the Soviet Union, which they promptly got beaten in. You know, and, and the whole precondition for them not getting completely uh, eradicated or uh, becoming, you know, a communist uh, state was essentially that, you know, first of all, allied negotiations, and second of all, um, you know, the Soviets basically told them to, to keep out of uh, the Cold War conflict, in, in any case, staying neutral. Staying neutral. So you Is know, that possible? Do you think? Do you, do you still staying neutral for any country at this point? Now that we're being globalized so much, I I think that there's definitely a place uh, for staying neutral, and there's a place for avoiding war. However, uh, you could argue in some cases that sometimes neutrality is quite threatened. Uh, in the case of of Ukraine, the one of the other Russian arguments for invading was that they, you know, were entering the NATO sphere of influence, which is something that obviously Putin and the Russian government is generally uh, yeah quite yeah. scared of, because that's um, you know, that brings back uh, the ideas of this Cold War, and um, in some sense they are they are correct that NATO has expanded east. Uh, the question is what that means for their own foreign policy goals. And there's, you know, a lot of d- debate about NATO right now as an organization. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 kind of a big debate at the moment. Yeah, I was about to say, like, there's a lot of people who's arguing for that NATO should take some kind of responsibility in this war. And try yeah. to go in where I feel like the term that collective security needs to be implemented since NATO is a defensive organization and not an offensive. Yeah, look, if NATO if NATO were to intervene in the Ukraine war, that oh, would yeah. somewhat violate their their principles in the sense yeah. that... We're talking about core cool principles, what they established on... Yeah, the, the basic premise of NATO, at least on paper, although NATO countries might not follow along with this, was the idea of collective security. Uh, Namely that if one person gets attacked, then everybody else jumps in and tries to fight off the bully. Yeah. Or whatever that kind of visualization is going to be. However, um, if NATO intervenes in Ukraine, then they would intervene in a country that has not officially joined NATO, is not joining NATO, 
and uh, is currently already at war. Well, which and then otherwise you could also argue that they never get the choice to do so because there was uh, they they got the um, the opportunity to join NATO, but their government at that point was pro-Russian, and even though that was a majority for joining NATO, they didn't want to. Yeah, and uh, I think I think a lot of that was was definitely tied into the later uh, Euromaidan uh, situation and all of that. You know, pro-European sentiment in Western Ukraine, pro-Russian sentiment in Eastern Ukraine is the simplification you most often hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, of course there 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 was genuinely some sentiment to join NATO. And, you know, nowadays, of course, it seems evident to Ukrainians why that would be a good idea. But at the same time, the push to join NATO in the in the more modern day had has led them to uh, at least the the threat of war multiple times. And uh, then finally, the actual declaration, in some sense, at least. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, it's not all it's not all uh, binary, of course, and there's a lot of difficulty in really thinking about these like central issues uh, surrounding when you can uh, join an organization like NATO, whether it's even advisable, whether NATO's even a even a good thing to be in. Uh, I personally don't necessarily think so, but you know that's up for other people to <laughs> think about at home. So when you um when you look at this war. Uh, in Ukraine. Yeah. So what type of war do you feel like? Do you feel like it's a war against uh, or democracy versus I I don't think authoritarian ever, I don't think or? I've ever really looked at it like that. I think that that's uh making the whole thing out to be a football match. I think it's more of a more of a case of sovereignty. <laughs> Maybe more case of sovereignty than that. Yeah, I I think so because the the reality is that Ukraine as a sovereign state is the main point of the war uh you know that's that's the whole reason uh for the the you know the international like condemnation of russia uh going into this war is that fundamentally ukraine is a sovereign state and it's you know basically allowed to uh, control its own territories without interference from other powers and with Russia invading it, you know, that's that's kind of violating their sovereignty, uh, which is quite clear. You can you can very much acknowledge that fact without necessarily saying that it's a great idea for them to just, you know, go fully pro-Western and all this stuff and join NATO and join the EU and all this stuff. Because these organizations have also been rejecting them recently. Yeah, yeah. Every time they've been trying to join the EU and NATO, you know, they basically said, fuck you, you're on your own now. So uh, the question is whether it was worth endangering that many people over the idea that you might be able to join an organization. <laughs> um, but it's all, um, when we're talking about you and, and, and NATO and a lot, they have also been criticized a bunch of times for yeah, quite really only... Uh, uh, emphasizing on the opponents rather than the internal, the internal issues, members, members as yeah, well. and the members, yeah, yeah, and, and this benefiting is, the members. This has especially been seen with um, 
conflicts like the Iraq War, um, which was basically a very brutal invasion by the U.S. in which uh, millions, in fact, of Iraqis died eventually uh, due to the sanctions as well as the direct warring. Uh, and this was done under the pretense of, you know, uh, Iraq having nuclear arms uh, and, you know, torturing people and all this uh, this stuff, which, you know, was later proven to be to be a lie. So uh, millions died based upon a lie. Yeah. yeah that's From NATO's side, this is bad. definitely a, a ma- major, major thing that they did not at all criticize, uh, basically, this war. Uh Obviously, a lot of other agencies were out saying, you know, there are human rights abuses being committed here. Um, but in the same sense, they, most human rights organizations are also Western. So you've got to take that into perspective and uh, realize that not that many of them were out there either. Because no. they believed in the, the ideas that the, the U.S. Was, was spouting. Yeah, if it was true or not. But exactly, again, yeah. this all comes down to perspective, right? Perspective and independent. Yeah, I mean that's generally what politics is uh, exactly about. At least in the in the modern day, you know, I wish it were just about thinking about policy and how best to help other people. But uh, unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. We live in kind of a, a shitty one where everything has become, you know, real politic, and you're sitting there. Would you then have? Thinking would you then say that. that the the politics nowadays is more about power politics than ever, or would you still believe that it's? I think that politics, ever since it's like proper manifestations, has been about the power, at least largely. I mean, there are a few exceptions. Maybe you could argue that in Athens or something like that, you know, you'd have like uh, democracy in that case. Which you know, obviously, that was democracy for everybody else except for the slaves. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, the democracy in that sense mostly you know was focused on policy uh, rather than you know uh, some kind of abstract notion of uh, you know partisan politics where you're looking at yeah. whether you support this side or that side or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the people were basically unified in the idea that you know. Okay, what what can we do to improve our standing? What can we do to improve our living standards, whatever. But even so, it's difficult to say that because that happened thousands of years ago, and frankly, we don't know that much. So yeah, and who knows what the future holds, right? But yeah, we, we don't know. But but with this, do you still feel like that the Europe, as an as a whole, is still this a stable region to live in? Well, I mean, do you? <laughs> I do very much. I feel like we still have a lot of benefits. Yeah. Many people don't. That's and, true. And we just just looking at it now, we have a lot of inflation. That's true. But is it going to keep going? We know we don't know, but it's still going to keep going for a little bit. Uh, the economy says. We uh, we went to France and we got we got pulled over by the police because my dad was speeding. One kilometer over the limit. I'm saying we got clocked for that. One kilometer. Over. One kilometer over the limit. Man. The and we got to pay the fine, right? Oof. Yeah. Well, what is the minimum fine in, in Denmark? I, I think it's 500 kron- kroners or 1,000. I don't I don't. Know. But Maybe. I um, we looked at the, the ticket. It was 
I think it was 20% more than it would have been in Denmark. That's how hard really? they've been hit. They've been striking down on uh, tickets in France. So they've been making tickets like more expensive because more expensive, uh, yeah. because yeah. they need to pay for okay. Well, that's yeah, kind some of, of it. Yeah, I mean I doubt I doubt that all of that is just cuz of fucking inflation. I think a lot of that's just, you know, how can we get a little bit more money for the police department? But you know whatever. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Uh, police mm, different mm, topic yeah uh but yeah no it's definitely been felt i think that you can argue that europe is a stable region but we can also argue that it's a stable region because other regions keep being unstable <laughs> uh that's kind of the argument proposed by you know dependency theory in that europe europe might not be the uh the foremost you know, imperial imperial power, you know, at the absolute core of everything, but it's kinda like in the in the periphery of the core. So it's it's still very important to see is the idea there and it still exploits you know, basically everybody else than like the US, uh and uh maybe the UK and such might might have that kind of influence. Uh, well but, that's um, just the well couldn't you also say that's the that that's the um the saying you once for One's fortune, but another's misfortune. Yeah, in some sense, yeah. And uh, that definitely also heavily relates to capitalism because that's the whole kind of basis of it, right? Mm, For one but isn't it more to, like the free market? Yeah, but the point of the free market in some sense is that, you know, there's always a supply of labor and that's a precondition kind of that there's always people that you can hire on a market of labor uh, which by the way this was not like a, a like kind transition to this uh, from feudal conditions it was uh, brutally enforced uh, now I'm getting into the to the Marxism but uh, but the the whole shtick with capitalism is that it's based on essentially you know growth uh, is is a simplification of course but the ownership uh of, of of property in private hands uh even though the character of production happens to be social i.e there are many people producing but there is one person getting most of the benefit or at least getting more than the others who are doing the actual production that's the main point of of uh, capitalist development and in some sense it's it's been positive uh in that it it developed from from feudalism feudalism was was very bad and capitalism has put the the money in a few more hands because obviously under feudal conditions you mostly had the monarchy uh controlling uh, the wealth now it's spread out a little more more evenly across a larger base of people but it's still very few people that own a lot of money and that's quite evident in the fact that you know it's often cited that eight people uh-huh. own more than half of the world's poorest combined. Oh yeah, uh, which is an insane statistic when you think about that, and it definitely shows the kind of uh, inequality that we face as a society internationally mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Denmark actually is also an example of rising inequality, and we've been seeing that. Um, since I think the, the almost the, the 80s, 90s ish, uh, it's been rising ever so slowly. Uh, and you know, 
Yeah, wasn't it like, like there's ten percent of the highest riches in Denmark, um, who's owns like forty eight or fifty two percent of everything in Denmark? Yeah, it might well be. I mean, that's the thing, right? You gotta that's think a, in these insane. these that's cases, right? Insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these aren't again, like uh, I need to emphasize, these are not small businesses. You know, these are. Um, these are major league, you know, big business. And when you're a major league biz- big business, you hire a lot of people and you do what's most profitable because that's how you survive. That's not like a moral indictment or anything like that or or, or any kind of attack on, on morals, but um, it's just what you have to do. The system is designed to shut you down if you don't. Um, you know, hire more people and get more capital. Capital is means of production. Uh, However, I do feel like they're good at it. So I think we, they're they are good at 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 doing that. But then you you ask yourself, you know, they might be good at that and they might get a lot out of it. But then you get back to the you know, one person's fortune, another person's misfortune, because there are many people working under them who will never be able to start their own businesses because they simply, they will never make enough to even do that, uh, let alone have the ambition to do it. But what, isn't that just a part of the free market? Some people just, that's exactly, and then they cripple them. That, they that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. The free market very much so emphasizes that. So um, that that's a problem, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> It's also part of life, you could say that, because you try something, maybe, perhaps it works out, perhaps it's not, and then... Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, the risk, the, it's the risk-taker argument, but, you know, you can try a thing as a poor person, and it doesn't work out, and you are fucked for the rest of your life, because most of the people that own major companies now came from already decently wealthy backgrounds, that's the unfortunate truth. Some people have built things up, yes, and especially with the tech boom, a lot of that happened, uh, and many companies were started in you know basements that have now yeah, grown. Yeah, yeah. But Just looking at Elon Musk, right? He took like a um, well, one I mean, office. yeah, no, he had wealthy, he had wealthy upbringing as well. Uh, he was, you know, South African guy. Uh, a lot of people, you know, mention the fact that his, his family supposedly also had uh, some emerald mines. Which um, yeah, that's brought up a lot, and uh, there are, there are stories of him running around with emeralds in his pockets and stuff, you know, which is yeah, kind of interesting. Nonetheless, <laughs> it's quite clear that uh, even looking past that, there are a lot of people in the third world who will never be able to do even the basics of what you're able to do in a Western country if you grow up there and you're educated there. Because simply the lack of education and the way in which systemic oppression forces them into these manufacturing jobs, which we, you know, we need because, you know, we don't produce as much in our own countries anymore. No, no. And and you can you can see this. This isn't a hard to, like statistic to reach. You don't have to be like a, an ultra ultra anti capitalist or anything like that to look at major companies and look where they've been moving their industries, uh, most of it points to, to China, to India, uh, perhaps to Vietnam. And those are kind of like the major countries you're going to move your industry to, is, is countries where people are, are more or less impoverished and they will work for, for very little. And it's very profitable 
and it allows you to compete. The main issue with capitalist society is that it very much promotes that, uh, and it keeps those people in but couldn't you just poverty prison. But then couldn't you just purchase products with fair trade on it, and then it's problem solved? Yeah, but a lot of people that you know use the whole fair trade uh, stuff and and talk about that, they don't really realize that fundamentally a lot of fair trade products they're marketed as fair trade, but yeah, they're let's be honest, a lot of this is not fair trade like you buy an but iPhone how come the there's a many procedures you need to go through to get this exactly but like even if you were always buying fair trade right like mm-hmm. there's a point in time when you're gonna buy something that's not fair trade or you're not gonna be able to get an item that's fair trade like look at every bit of electronics you probably have there's like a very high likelihood that 90% of it is produced under horrible conditions oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's because that's cheaper for us to buy so logically we don't want to be spending a lot of money on you know stuff that we could theoretically get way cheaper and this is also a way for you know richer individuals to take a kind of moral high ground because they'll buy fair trade and stuff but you know that's just not realistic for people who are are worse off you know you can't always be buying you know, fair trade stuff if you are not personally in a good financial position either. Um, and and even so, yeah, you can still, again, even argue over, like, how great of a measurement fair trade is even going to be uh, for working conditions. Uh, uh. There are many people in many places still that are not unionized and uh, don't really have the capacity to demand fair working conditions. So no, 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 there's a lot of we're very, very fortunate, Theodore. There's, there's, there's a lot of. Now we're just thinking about it. Being born in Denmark is is fortunate in the sense that you get a lot of things, but the the more you start to realize, the more you think about what is my lifestyle doing uh, to impact other people's lifestyles and how equal is our society. Because humanity will always strive for betterment, right? Uh, oh, yeah, we like to think that, yeah. Or we we like to think that, but we also sometimes enter some of the same potholes uh, that we've done in the past. Uh, but the whole issue is that most people right now are very, you know, placated. And to me, it's just, it's never going to be enough to just have, you know, unions. Unions are help. They're, 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 they're good. They're good. They're great at what they do. Um... And they will help a lot of people, like, obviously get better wages. Uh-huh. But ideally, you know, people would not work in the same sense for wages because, like, this limits a lot of people. But, That's kind of some but, of the argument. But do we still need to have us. that aspect of competition, right? Because if, if you're taking... Uh, comp- an- competition, maybe. like, But obviously, if we were talking just ideal society, right, what we'd want would be... A mechanized society in which you know everything is produced by machinery right so that we can all have more time to do what we like to do but then we all have to do like get the same amount if we need we, to live like that we wouldn't necessarily uh you know get the but it doesn't really matter how much we get because everything we would get like goods would just let's just say they would be distributed based on you know what you want uh, so there, there would be no money, just distrib- distributing distribution, food. a state distributing, you know, food and basic goods and clothing and all this stuff, whatever you want. Uh, and you could, you could decide what what part of it you wanted. 
in this society, you know, you would have a lot more freedom to be an artist, to be a, a person, a, a full-on person, instead of working for somebody else to hope that you can one day become a full-on person. Because that's kind of the issue, that's kind Wait, of the problem. So you're saying the people who are working for somebody else is not a person? I'm saying that people who are working for other people aren't able to necessarily realize like what they really want in life a lot of the time. I mean, like... In to what, to what like, sense? Obviously, a lot of people will work in conditions that they think are, are very favorable to them. And, yeah. and that's that's not wrong. But, like, you see just how many people get stuck, bogged down in one job. And, oh, well, yeah. they can't get out of it again. No, no, and there's also the people who are, who are dependent on many jobs, right? Who on many jobs. necessarily like what they do. And I, I, I no. personally, I feel like there's a lot of people who... Just going around doing a job they don't not do not like. I think most people are. Uh, That's kind of sad. But uh, when you also you know get the get the realization that a lot of this is, is structural, right? Like even if you get the education that you really want, it's not certain that you're even going to get a job in that area, or you're going to continue in that area, or you're even going to like being in that area for a, a prolonged period of time. There are, there are many uncertainties, and I think they are bettered. In a country like like Denmark, you might have a little bit more freedom to choose what you're going to do. Uh, but that does not mean it's perfect. And that's that's my main argument. I, I just don't think that uh, our yeah. system is uh, is perfect. Oh. I don't think it's necessarily sustainable either. With um with historical climate impacts from the West being as massive as they are, uh, our industries still you know again occurring mostly in the third world. And this has, again, like, you can kind of put it into that um, thing there, because, again, that's dependency theory, right? Like, one man's misfortune uh, fortune is another man's uh, misfortune mm -hmm. applied to the West compared to the Global South. Um, but you can also say that, okay, so, but how, to what extent are you willing to secure your your fortune? My fortune. Well, in, yeah. In when we, if we take in like the um, the fortune example, like one's fortune, someone someone else's misfortune. What yeah. extent are you willing to go to uh, or for for the fortune? Because if we could just go back to global politics, we can see that at this moment, right? Because every state wants something in itself. It's also part of the realism theory as well, right? Yeah. Every state, every state thrives for own benefit. Power, at least in yeah, theory, yeah. Cra craves power for own best benefit. Mm -hmm. And if we just look at the uh, the German militarization again, uh, yeah. being a third country spending the most of their revenue on army, yeah. right? Would that we could see that as a security, uh, a part of the security dilemma? One more time, security mm -hmm. dilemma in the sense that. That uh, if I stock up on arms, someone else is going to be like, oh, no, perhaps he's willing to go to war or he's being offensive or something like that. Um, but it could yeah. also just be that you're afraid of someone else and just want to stock up because if this is this is, again, one of the, the security dilemma as well, being that if if somebody else's fears you, perhaps you're cut to the right place. Right. Because now nobody is willing to go to war with you because they fear you. But that's kind of yeah. sad to live in a world like that, right? Well, yeah, but like fundamentally our global system is kind of driven by fear. 
I think yeah. a lot of it is uh, because how come? How come? Well, for a global South country, you don't want to anger any of the big blocks. You don't want to anger China. You don't want to anger the U.S. You wouldn't want to anger Russia or any oh, of these yeah, other yeah, countries. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you're fearful because they might, you know, overthrow your government or or otherwise, uh, you know, diplomatically isolate you if you do. And uh, obviously, Russia probably had some fears about going into Ukraine. It did it anyway, which is kind of but um a ballsy move it's kind of a ballsy move um but you know then you also have a country like uh you know the u.s is able to exact fear on basically everybody with the fact that it simply has tons of nukes uh that it could you know throw at any moment (laughs) yeah russia again like kind of doing the same thing uh and many other you know nuclear powers are threatened with uh with this kind of thing so a lot of conflicts right now are either being stopped or prolonged uh, in some way or by or nuclear like put weapons. on hold, right? Or like, put on hold. Wait, wait a minute. We have a bigger problem on our hands. Somebody, <laughs> somebody might get nuked if everything goes wrong. And if oh, somebody gets God. nuked... Yeah, then we all fucked. <laughs> yeah, the moment one nuke drops, it's going to be like 50 more at least, you know? Like, um, that's the problem. But that's the problem. Is it really going to... If we think about it, like, if we take the world of fear, right? Because what was it? Um, we just take one drops a nuke. Are there multiple people called dropping nukes? Because we know that if, if one drops... Oh, if we all drop nukes, we're all dead as a mm. civilization. Yeah. That's really Almost 8 billion people, right? Or is going to be dead if one drops a nuke. And everybody else drops. So if one drops a nuke, are they all going? How are the, how are the others going to react? I think I feel like that's more of the question. Yeah, and obviously you can ask, would they would they drop a nuke back? Because they know what that means for their. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So how do they react? And if they if they do not react, let's say they take the option that they do not react, how are they going to be like implement? Well, like, like that. Are they that's going the to problem. have like that less opens. power or? It opens Pandora's box because the moment that somebody's dropped a nuke and you haven't responded to the fact that they've dropped a nuke, you know, you automatically give the, give the other one. You're the giving the other the leverage to just keep exactly. doing exactly the same thing, uh, yeah. which is why the international system is so incredibly chaotic. Yeah, it was like chaotic and fragile at the same time, right? Yeah. The, well, it's you could say it's secure. Sticks. Yeah. Yeah, carrots and sticks. Carrots and sticks, yeah. A few economic benefits or you get the nuke. <laughs> Those are the two options. Uh, but oh. no, no, like the the classic theories there, it's they they kind of go they kind of go in and they kind of make sense, you know. Uh, the system is really quite fragile and I don't think we understand that well enough uh, mm-hmm. as a society. And the only way to get rid of this absolute instability is you know to get rid of nukes but if we get rid of nukes what are the unforetold consequences of that you know yeah, like exactly even... but again that's the ma- major questions that we keep asking ourselves right yeah because we gotta like foresee the future at that point but you can't you can't really do no, that no yeah so, foreseeing the future is impossible yeah exactly so well yeah no. well if Makes you're sense. a wizard apparently. yeah you could be a wizard yeah who knows houdini in all absolute houdini uh, <laughs> houdini type shit but, yeah. but, that, but it also ties in with uh, now that we're talking about the uh, the atomic bombs right it ties yeah. in with the yukon war as well because 
Russia has been out saying that if by if anybody disturbs or goes against, they are willing to go for the the bombs, the u- nuclear bombs, right? Yeah, exactly. It's been used. It's been used a lot in that conflict as deterrence. Um, and I think that, like fundamentally, it is still the biggest deterrent uh, we've ever had as a species because it is essentially annihilation uh if anybody decides to to take the first move <laughs> clear annihilation of and and the, that's that's kind of the problem right sometimes we get too too political we like forget to think you know okay yes we could like retaliate and drop a nuke on them but we'd fucking all die so <laughs> like it's not about preserving your honor or like responding to a threat yeah, or whatever man. it's about trying to not die all of us yeah so, well then, then then you can kind of argue that yeah it's about dignity yeah it's about yeah but exactly like who has dignity if everybody's yeah, dead honor and dignity but who has that when you're dead man yeah you're not gonna come back no, exactly. And but but at, like, but human at the same civilization time, is gone. And yeah, then you're like you're time, sitting there going, I'm 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 on my white horse. <laughs> I killed them. I killed all those people. Uh and, and I did it. I did it just like they did to ours. I showed them. I showed, I showed them. them. I sure showed them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no. you you do know that there's some some people somewhere is gonna be sitting in the bunkers with their five years worth of canned yeah, tuna. yeah, no. I, I personally bring mackerel and tomato, but you know that's just a <laughs> personal choice. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, but like I was just saying that because tuna can like hold forever. Yeah, same with mackerel and tomato. Don't diss it. <laughs> no, I'm not dissing. I'm not dissing. I'm just saying, how do, how long do you think like what like, they can hold uh, the mackerel? Yeah, the mackerel. Oh, I don't I, know. I've seen the on the bo- on the tins. I've sometimes seen like. Uh, like it, it's definitely years. It's up in the years. Yeah, I don't know yeah, how many years, no. but it's a lot of it's a lot of years. It's a lot. I mean, you can also obviously do like the classic stereotype where you bring like a Twinkie or something like that, which is <laughs> Twinkie. Yeah, yeah. You, you know like what Twinkie? Candy? The candy Twinkie. Yeah, uh, Twinkies like the the weird spongy cake things that they have in the U.S. Oh, I've never tried that. I I've I've had them before. I, I think good. you can actually buy them in Denmark now. Um. Are they good? Nah, no, <laughs> not really. But like, if you're sitting there during a nuclear apocalypse and everything's gone to shit, then oh, yeah. you know I you feel, want I a snack. Like, you'll probably I feel like you're eat willing it. to eat anything. You're probably point. gonna eat anything. But are we then going to like recover from it? Because everybody else is dead. Every animal is dead as well. The oceans are heated up. The poles are gone. So perhaps we're even drowning. Well, maybe with, in maybe water. We should, uh, maybe we should uh, start the nuclear apocalypse a little sooner so that it's not all bad. You know what I'm saying? Nah. Uh, a lot of people like say like, oh, nuclear apocalypse might not be that bad. Like the people that argue that NATO should go into uh, to Ukraine. That's fucking stupid. That's insane. Because fundamentally, a nuclear apocalypse would also cause mass crop failure. And uh, if oh, if yeah. the nukes themselves didn't kill we all about, people, on yeah, Earth, exactly. And we were just talking about like like nuclear plant life and like plant life, uh, trees, like anything you could even think of, vegetation of any kind would also just face massive consequences. Mm, mm. 
We also so, talk. We also just talking about radiation in, in general, right? Yeah, the, yeah. It would be extremely. Radiation. It would be extremely dangerous to look to at, go to look any. At, just major look at Chern- Chernobyl, right? Yeah, and that would hugely disrupt the food supply, right? So, like, mm-hmm. what the fuck do the survivors eat apart from their canned beans and shit? Like, after five years, is that is that enough time that yeah, the radiation? Yeah. What, what do you gone? What do, what do you produce after that? Because uh, yeah, yeah, you can produce salad, but with the three hundred and fifty yeah. times the radi- normal radiation. Nah, I don't feel like you can eat that for long. Yeah, and I also feel like, you know, you'd have to have very insane, like, rationing to survive on cans of beans. You'd have to, like, because, okay, yeah, beans might be nutritious, but you'll you'll have to eat probably, like, at least, like, half a can a day to, like, not be starving uh, or true. feeling like you're starving. What about um, the politics at that point? Do you feel like there's going to be a... I feel like... I feel like there might be, but that's that will be like an underground like thing, like people chatting from bunker to bunker. Really? There it's might not gonna be. be like. I I think that I think that honestly, by the time a few years have passed, only the like the wealthy people that have the fucking high functioning bunkers will have survived. So I you, think that most normal normal people that just went to their like local shitty bunker from the sixties, uh, probably gonna die. So you still feel like the. the Dem- democracy is gonna survive. I don't think democracy is gonna survive. Not at all. No, I don't think democracy is gonna survive. Who's gonna elect them? They're gonna be down and they're gonna be down in the bunkers. They're gonna come back up. They're gonna. Clean I, the I don't know. Leaders. I don't know. I feel like democracy is gonna survive. We, you really like think about it. I mean, it depends you on it, your version of democracy. You could say that like the the few people that are left alive who also served in the same government as the previous guy. You know, oh, they yeah, they'll okay. elect them. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There might be a semblance, but, um, that, yeah, uh, not yeah, maybe It really depends on who has the bunker. I think, I think, honestly, the people that are going to survive is, like, royalty. Royalty will probably survive. Like, Queen Margaret will go down to her bunker. We know that she has some, uh, some facilities, uh, along with the rest of the royal family. Uh, you know, probably our government at least a, a, a significant part of it would be able to go down into the bunkers. Not all, not all people in, in government, definitely not, but you no. know, some of them. Yeah. The most important, uh, but I feel like for me, I'll, I'll just accept fate. I think, I'll I die. think, I think oh. if you see a fucking like a, a nuclear cloud in the distance, mushroom cloud. Yeah. You're, you're fucked. Go to Iceland. Go to Greenland. No, you won't have time. The moment you see a mushroom cloud, you're fucked. <laughs> Run, man. No, honestly, that's one of the reasons why uh, yeah. why I'd probably ski off to like a country like Cuba. Huh. You ever think about that? No, I'm not. Because Cuba, Cuba's in technically a non-aligned nation. So nobody's going to nuclear strike them if a conflict breaks out. They they don't have bad relations. I mean, they do have bad relations with the U.S., but like the U.S. isn't going to nuclear strike them just because they're in a conflict with Russia. I was about to say, and all and they the don't things have, going like, on and their history with the Cuba, I don't feel like they would. I don't think they would nuclear strike. Uh, and there would be no reason. Like it's yeah, either that or you're saying some of the non-aligned countries in Africa potentially as well is a is a possibility. I think mostly like Europe and the U.S. and Canada and maybe even Mexico. Uh, they'd be affected. China, Russia, you know. I was about to say, Den- not Denmark, whatever. like as an as a country, like individual country, but they're gonna be like 
in the it's actually quite kind of funny because originally in like uh supposedly like the 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 soviet like backup idea if if there were to be some kind of conflict between them and nato which by the way they didn't wish for but whatever um obviously neither party wanted you, that you're gonna have those plans man you gotta there, have there those was, plans there, there were insane plans on both sides to like obviously nato would have just like uh, nuked the shit out of russia and uh attempted to also send in like ground forces and stuff uh trying into to get the to... no zero zone what would it, you call it? It would have been the idea. Would have been to like take over, like nuke a shit ton of the Warsaw Pact countries, and and move in and take every city after that. Of course. Um, but basically, Russia had like a similar idea, like the Soviet Union, uh, not Russia. I mean, yeah, it was a bunch of states, modern day states. The Soviet Union had the plan to nuke. I think Hulbik was one of their targets. Actually, that was one in of Denmark. Their, yeah. Like Copenhagen, I think Holbeck or, or like Roskilde area, uh, maybe in between. I'm not sure. I was about to say, but we're we're part the, of the the uh, we're part of the fire anyway. The side fire. The the what now? If they just decided, let's say that they decided to bomb Germany because that's one of the big players it, it, in it Europe. It would it would affect us, but if you look at like the radius of nukes at the time, that's gonna be a fate, bro. That's gonna kill us, all of us. We're gonna, it, be it would, We're gonna be dead. It would cause significant issues, but the the reality is that nukes at the time would not have like immediately destroyed um destroyed Denmark if they landed in Germany. I think it might have destroyed like Sonoyland, but you know that's yeah. Sonoyland. <laughs> uh, no, nothing against uh, Sonoyland. Uh, cool, cool place. You speak. That was uh, a German. joke, people. That's, that was a joke. Kinda, <laughs> I like I like the the fact that you you got some multicultural stuff going down. Uh, down there but um yeah no uh they have plans to like Hulbeck was apparently one of their like targets actually militarily to to nuke and uh then they move into denmark uh, very quickly like it, 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 bo- both plans both parties had like insane blitzkrieg like plans to if all hell broke loose they just go fucking ham <laughs> they go all out yeah uh which Damn. is i mean it's fun to look at but realistically None of them were ever you employed. You would not be alive to witness it. Let's just yeah, and I've also I, I I love the idea of those plans because they kind of imply that they wouldn't all be already fucking dead from the other person's nukes. You know, because both clearly oh, yeah. had plans to invade. Uh, I feel like a lot of ground troops would probably die from the nukes alone. Yeah, we're so, gonna send like one hundred thousand men, and then only like two thousand showed up. Cause, and they yeah. they are in, then they would be injured, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. So that kind of warfare isn't really possible, but um, you know, no matter how you look at it, it's always a dangerous prospect. With um, mutually assured destruction, the threat of nuclear war really hangs over yeah, us. The security dilemma, all the different like offensive and defensive realism as well aspect of it. But just before we end this up and tie it all, um. In regards to you, the Ukraine war. Now we've been talking about the bombs here. Yeah. Do you think that the uh, the bombs are ever going to be used? Nuclear bombs. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to believe not. I don't. I don't know if like, cause that's the thing. It's like fundamentally against our instincts to believe that we're facing 
imminent destruction. Uh, I think I I don't think anybody's like really all that engaged in the idea that we're suddenly maybe some like doomsday preppers, but like I don't think <laughs> most people are really engaged in the idea that there's going to be an apocalypse someday. And I think most people, if they do, have like a very romanticized image of how that would look. Uh, they they think oh, like yeah. a zombie movie or like you know. Like the, all those bunker movies where they're like sitting down and all the families having a chat and all this around like a, a can down. of beans. No, it's going to be fucking awful. And everybody you know is probably dead before you reach your like makeshift bunker. So um, <laughs> even if you do get down there, you will live a, a depressive life with a can of beans and basically nothing but sadness. Uh, you might have prepared better than other people, but it will still suck. And will be a significant decrease in your living standard. All right, don't don't fucking hope oh, for nuclear yeah. bombs. No, don't hope for them. Do you they think will it's gonna everything. end like that in in this war? No, no, I I don't I don't necessarily think. So. I mean, like, look, uh, you know, prove me wrong in like uh fucking few months when the nukes are dropping over uh, over Denmark and I'm fucking gone. No, dead. I don't. I don't want to be the one that said told you so. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not gonna be able to. Your skeleton will be there. Oh yeah, I'm um, gonna be burnt crisp. Yeah, no, we'll all be uh we'll all be burnt uh, to death. Uh, probably by the time you'll be able to tell me I told you so, and you'll probably be too far away from me anyway <laughs> i'm gonna be the first one to call you when it drops you're gonna like yeah, yeah i'm gonna yeah. like i'm gonna like watch the mushroom crowd cloud outside like my window well, uh, can you even see it if it gets dropped like in ukraine in ukraine no no i i, I would like that's that's the thing no you would not be able to see it if it dropped, dropped no, in ukraine. Exactly. I, i'm considering if a nuclear war started and like the rest of the world ah involved. okay i was i was like if you're about, thinking you can, about like, no you, but the issue is that if Russia deploys nukes in Ukraine. That probably also means a retaliation, uh, retaliation from the West, because it's fundam- it will fundamentally be like an illegal action. Of course, the U.S. did it before, but we don't really care about that. Uh, you know, if the Russians did it in Ukraine, they would be killing civilians. They'd be targeting civilians with the um, with the bombs. And even if the West isn't involved in the war by then, they would probably retaliate by dropping nukes mm-hmm. on Russia. As yeah, well, yeah. and then Russia would be probably responding by dropping even more nukes on the rest of uh, of uh, Europe. So that's that's the scenario I'm in ma- I'm imagining. And in that case, do you feel like Putin would be, would go that far? In fact, you, do you uh, think do, he's willing to do so? To uh, I don't know if I don't know if Putin's personally willing to like uh, to like do it either. Like that's the thing you can't see inside the minds of people. Oh shit! I just hit the mic. Um, you can't see inside the minds of like these people. And a lot of people try to like psychoanalyze everybody and uh, form like some really smart opinion about everything and you know bring it down to one issue in their like past or some shit. No, I can't predict what Putin's gonna do. Uh, I can't predict what our Western leaders are gonna do either. In fact, you know, obviously, even if Russia fucking started nuking shit, I probably not want anybody to retaliate because. It's already the worst case scenario, but you can make it worse by like bombing the shit out of Russia as well and <laughs> having them retaliate. That's true. That is true. At the moment, there's a nuke drop. It's the moment when you got to think. We're already in a crisis situation. Yeah, inflation we need to dismantle high. This. We also we just uh, talking about this inflation as well. The uh, the oil and gas. It's it's becoming harder to get a hold of, right? Oil we we gas, see yeah. Russian Russian soldiers are standing by the Polish border and burning the uh, gas. 
and and yeah, Gash there's been a lot of that kind of kind of taunting, yeah, where it's like, uh, like I've also seen like a Russian like Twitch channel which was like streaming, like live streaming a stove, like literally just a stove, and it was turned on for like twenty four hours, uh, like Oof. a day, like every day. Yeah, just the to piss off, piss and off, the provocation. Like, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of provocation also going on. I think there's about. a, I think there's a hell of a lot of provocation. Uh, you know, obviously some of it's like more funny than other uh, stuff. You know, yeah, it well, is that's kinda... the fun thing, right? Oh well, interesting, not funny. The interesting <laughs> yeah, thing well, is, it's kind of funny. The, the the interesting thing is that you, uh, President Zelensky, keeps provoking the German, oh, not Germany. What I'm talking like. Russia, right? And and yeah, Putin when he's putting up Twitter and stuff. But he also claims that he they're the victims and, and all that stuff. And, which is I'm not There's, not siding yeah. with anyone. We just need to confirm that not condemning any violent yeah. action from both parties. I think I or yeah, condoning uh, in that case, obviously. But um like I, I think there's there's definitely a thing to be said about the fact that Ukraine you know, is utilizing you uh, propaganda, you know, as well as as uh, yeah, as, as Russia well. is, in, in many in many cases, yeah, they're using they're both they're very, doing it differently. Yeah, exactly, um, and and they're they're using the media. I think one of the many interesting things is also how they use media to do this to provoke each other because yeah, they fake news is a wide range and it's come become very clear in this. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. In this thing, I think. That's that's again like a, it's a good 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 general quote. I'm honestly completely unsure who the hell said this, but it's a smart quote. So yeah, truth is the first casualty of war. Exactly. Uh, exactly. When you have two parties trying to convince the rest of the world that they're in the right, you know, they are less focused on delivering you accurate information about a war, and and more focused on preserving their own country's image, their soldiers' images. And uh, the longer they do that, the more international support they will get, which will, you know, correspond to more aid um, in terms of uh, both military, humanitarian, whatever. Ukraine obviously has been very successful in, in swaying the West to do many of these things, and for good reason, because fundamentally it holds the, the moral high ground it was the country that was invaded. Mm. Uh, you know, Russia also... illegally illegally invaded them uh, on on their sovereign territory. So Ukraine holds that kind of position in international law, where they can say, you know, we are the victims of this invasion, and they've kind of weaponized that into saying, you know, we are like we, we're the only ones that can that can like uh, do this. We're yeah, the only the party. So, right? We're like the just party in the war. The other parties is, uh, you know, horrible. And yeah. and to a large extent, of course, Russia's doing horrible human rights violations. And that further confirms that uh, line of view. I feel like also one of the major things which really hit me hard not that long ago is actually that Ukraine has also done a lot of or violations to the human rights. Yeah, um, you know, we looked at especially we, for the uh, the prisoners of war. Yeah, we were reading up on um, the the Geneva Convention on uh, human rights for prisoners of war, yeah. and we actually found that uh, at least some principles have been fundamentally violated by uh, Ukrainian uh, 
personnel, army personnel, yeah. during the war, um, you know, for example, you're not allowed to to humiliate or publicly kind of. Uh, yeah, what was it? Demote, yeah, demote the um, yeah. the opposition. You're, uh, you're in in Article Three, in Article Three. Yeah, you're not you're not Especially. allowed. There are many things that you're not allowed to to kind of do. You're not allowed to to put people like down below their below their station. You're not allowed to uh, to to like put people forward saying that they like they don't condone the war anymore and all this stuff, right? Yeah. Like prisoners of war is supposed to just be. Treated with respect, uh, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, you, you kind of been doing that in what you can call like to some extent, or to a major extent. I, w- I would say is probably the use of propaganda. I, I think that I think that they've been trying to, and and maybe they didn't read up on the the whole human rights stuff there. But uh, it is long. Been, yeah, it's, it's long. It's a long, long, long article. Uh, not article. Um, it's a matter the of if you're Ukraine or Russian, you still have the right, right? Yeah, you would you would have the right no matter what, um, and that's kind of the thing as well. Like you can't draw lines in terms of these kinds of uh, basic, Mm-mm. you know, rights of war because they're applied to every country in the world, at least in principle. There's also so, the um, putting civilians in danger. We yep. also looked at Amnesty. Um, yeah, Amnesty published a report on um, Russia on has been using actions. cluster bombs. That's against. That's a major um, flaw. Yeah, because it hits well, not flaw. Obviously, they're no, they're no, kind of no, doing sorry. it deliberately. Uh, it hits civilian. It hits civilian targets. Uh, and obviously, Russia's been doing this, and at the same time, Ukraine's been positioning soldiers uh, in civilian areas, which yeah, is also bases, that's, that's, yeah. The the moment I you start firing at the enemy from a civilian area, the enemy, of course. And and this doesn't matter whether you think the enemy is the devil or whatever. The enemy kind of starts to build up a justification, at least for themselves, that they should attack this area because they are getting bombed from it, right? Yeah. Um, let's just say we are like two countries against each other. Of yeah. course, you would minimize the opposition at all. Yeah, times. exactly. Right? Like, I I would definitely try to minimize the amount of people who can toss bombs at me and the way in which you do that in warfare is usually to toss bombs at the people tossing bombs at you so that's kind of how that development happens and if the people that are tossing bombs at you happen to be in a civilian populated area then the civilians are going to be affected too and i think that that's a major issue if ukrainian forces uh, like amnesty has has reported on have been doing this uh, although this was, of course, uh, slightly early, I believe, and was in, in uh, I think the report itself was uh, finished in, in July, but uh, published in August uh, of this year. But if they have been doing this and they've they've continued to do this, um, which I don't know, but if they have, then that's a severe human rights violation and a huge issue. Um, That's a huge issue, but it only be, it only complicates further when Russia really uses cluster bombs because we are exactly, in, in today's yeah. society we have those very direct and very precise missiles, right? Yeah, so exactly. you could take out a target anywhere in this world. Yeah, and and obviously with drones entering uh, the fray, and obviously Russia's been using um, you know kamikaze, quote unquote, as they've been called, drones. Uh, which yeah. supposedly are are Iranian, um, but you know Iran has has denied this, whatever. Uh, 
doesn't really matter. The main point is they're sending in drones that are just kind of there to detonate themselves. And, uh, well, the funniest part about the, the whole article, uh, the articles about this is we read a, a CNN piece on um, the way in which, you know, these kinds of, uh, of drones were being used. And in the same article, it also states the fact that the Ukraine, like, Ukrainians have started using them. Uh, so it's not like, it's not like a... It's kind of double moral, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like reporting on these, these drones as like a potential new threat. And then you also have like, you know, the, the US supported one, uh, at least in, in terms of actual munitions and stuff. Uh, you have that, that power also using these drones and, uh trying to use them as effectively as possible to obviously kill the other side. I was about to say, it's uh, like taking, it's like the one part taking a stone, throwing it against your window, then you take up another, you take that stone, you throw it against his window, but you have a group of friends that are surrounding you doing it. Yeah, you, you, you Which kind is of kinda like, like, I don't, I wouldn't say. Like one, like, it would kind of be like, yeah, your friends, your friends around you are like telling you that, uh, it was, it's so fucked up that that guy threw the stone at you. And then you, so you throw up. it back. And then you, and and like, then you also, like, like you, yeah, throw, you showed him. You, you showed throw him. another stone at them. And then they're, you know, obviously they don't, they don't have those, uh, those guys supporting them in the, in the media at least. No, so, no. so, yeah, it's a very different situation. Uh, of course, Russia has more of them. And that's because yeah, cool. that's, that's simply due to the fact that they have more of a capacity for, for, both buying and distributing these drones, they are a bigger country. But then again, would would you say that those kamikaze drones are? Mm, would you say they were more for show, or do you feel like they're efficient? Because I, I personally, I, I would say they're not as efficient as those massive no. missiles. And I feel like it's more for show of like power and. I think gear. I think they're kind of like a niche thing, at least right now. Uh, in the future. In the future, maybe they'll be more useful. Who knows? But for the time being, like, the the drones are kind of niche. They're not, like, that useful. Uh, not yet, at least. Like, obviously, yeah, they can they can kill things, and they're somewhat accurate, but they're they're kind of inefficient. That's, that's what's been recognized. But as this technology develops, you know it it might it might be a pretty dangerous thing in the future who knows hmm. yeah well i think that was um that yeah. was the that was the first podcast we we went a lot off topic but uh i hope it was not horrible to listen to uh if you've gotten this far and uh, hopefully you'll tune into the next podcast because I think that one is going to be really, really spicy and cool and epic. And it's going to be about so much politics stuff. You won't even be able to. Um, you, you won't be able to forget about politics for the rest of your life. That's right. That's right. That's it's right. going to be crazy. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> insane. It's going to change your mind. It's gonna change your well, perception of the entire world. Will change with the next podcast. Yeah, we'll do well, so much crazy stuff on it. Well, our podcast aims for de- definitely trying to put politics or just global events into a more comprehensive perspective. Yeah, uh, for for us and for you, trying to discuss how could you view it. This is again, this is only us. We are not condemning the use of violence for anybody. We're just trying to look at it and perhaps discuss how could you look at. Yeah, 
again, you're using the word condemn where I think uh, I think you mean condone. <laughs> oh yeah, condone. Sorry, condone. Yeah, because condone is you know condone is like uh, like uh, I don't know, like approving of, and and condemning is obviously disapproving of. It, it doesn't matter. It's all English. We're uh, we're not native English speakers. Neither of us are. We're from Ulsel. Ulsel forever. Ulsel uh, forever. Ulsel <laughs> is the is the, um, it's a place where we live, and um, well, it has bad trains right now. At the moment. It has bad trains. It has bad public Let's transport. Let's hope for a better future for DOT. <laughs> Maybe maybe Inga Stoiper is gonna bring some uh, some oh, trains no, to get some. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, we're not. Um, <laughs> we're we're not advocating for fucking Denmark's Demokraterne. All right, uh, don't worry about that. Either way, this is an international podcast, so Danish politics yes is not on the on the table right now. Yeah, well, we hope you like it, and uh, we hope you like the podcast. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it's goodbye from here. Yep, yep, so, it's uh, goodbye from us. Goodbye, Theodore. Goodbye, Anton, and goodbye, dear listeners.